out and I was very alone. Um, I didn't know what to do with that. Um, I had, there was no support. It's, and when you talk about dark valleys, um, that was really the beginning of, I was already in a bit of a darkness just in my own personal journey of understanding mm -hmm. where I was going. I was struggling, you know, and we'll talk about sexuality later on. There was, when we're going through pain, we obviously, as human beings, we have a hard time dealing with pain. And we look for things to soothe it. And so in one of a natural or an automatic way, that one way that people look to soothe pain is, is sometimes through sexuality. And right, whether it be pornography and things like that, or relationships, right, the, which obviously don't end up filling the void or soothing the pain. Welcome to the podcast, Share Your Story, Exploring Humanity One Heart at a Time. I am your host, Jenny Diltz, and I help people convert their grief into growth in their own way and in their own time. This is a podcast where we dive deeply into the stories that make us who we are and show us who we can become. Together, we share real-life experiences of growth through our grief. I can be found at grievingcoach.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss exclusive interviews and some of my own tidbits and insights on grief. All right. Today's guest on the Share Your Stories podcast is Matthew Brackett. Matthew is passionate about the beauty of the human race. Born the 10th of 13 children to Gloria and Charles Brackett in a small, new, small town, New England, Matthew left home at 18 on an adventure of service in formal religious ministry that led him to Italy, Ireland, England, Colombia, Chile, Mexico, along with a few years of active duty as a chaplain in the U.S. Navy, where he worked principally with the Marines. He has launched Bracket Alliance as a way to continue to serve as a coach, advisor, and educator around the beautiful complexities of the human element in relationship, leadership, followership, and diversity. Thank you so much for coming on our show today, Matthew. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you very much. It's, it is really wonderful to be here. I love the topics that you, that you deal with here because this is so real to the human experience and I'm, I'm honored to be here with you. Thank you. I'm so looking forward to our, our conversation today because of the, the topics that we're going to be talking about. Hmm. Um, but before we begin, where can people find you? People can find me right now on my LinkedIn, uh, at Matthew Brackett. Facebook as well, Matthew Bracket. Uh, Instagram is as Bracket Alliance. Really, those are the places. Um, I don't have an up, a website. Uh, maybe by the, when this goes out, I'll have my website up, but I definitely will have it by the beginning of 2023, which will also be bracketalliance.com. So those are the places ready and available to support people. Awesome. So before we get into the main topics, can you give us a snippet of your background so that listeners can get to know you a little bit better? Of course, Jenny. So as, as you mentioned, I was born the 10th of 13 children. That's that's probably a whole chapter in itself <laughs> to talk about me coming from a big family, and which was, for us was the, that was the normal, right? And, um, and that was in small town New England, so again, that has a whole another aspect to it of just growing up, you know, in the farmlands and small town and, and everything that made, you know, growing up in the 70s and the 80s. And I grew up in a Catholic family. 
Mm-hmm. And we grew up in a more, you know, more traditional Catholic family. And so prayer was very much part of our family. We went to Catholic school. Um, and so I was very exposed to service. Um, I was exposed to generosity, uh, beginning with my parents. We're very generous people, not only with their openness to life, but also with, um, we always had other people. Our house was always a, as a roof for so many people, um, relatives, friends, people that were going through difficult moments. And so there were just always other people there. My, my parents had big hearts. They were very generous. And mm-hmm. so, you know, learning servers, learning generosity, learning, I suppose, this, this drive to do something transcendental in life, you know, that goes above and beyond what can be just measured in time and was sort of something that we had in, in us. And so that led me, you know, I, I sort of, I suppose I had a restless spirit and I really didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so at the end, when I graduated from high school, I went to do a volunteer year with a religious organization. And it was during that time that I decided to go to the seminar to, to start on this journey of preparing myself for the priesthood. And again, that's a whole other topic because right now I'm no longer in priestly ministry. So that's, you know, how did that lead to, you know, where I'm at today? Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably a story for another day. I'll, I'll mention a few things, but so anyway, I went to seminary with the greatest, greatest intentions and with a vision and, and um, our training is long. So it was, you know, 10, 11 years jokingly i sometimes say we're just slow learners but anyway but it's 10 11 years this is very complete training we have a lot of on hands experience but you know we study humanities um then there's at the beginning is there's two years of very focused on the spiritual on really you know letting go of of the past and and, and the ways of the world to say it in some way right and like in the military this had to let go of the civilian you know and, and put on this was about putting on a new identity as someone mm-hmm. who's religious, someone who is a follower of the Lord, someone who is a minister. And so there's there's a great detachment from the world and really an attachment to the things, to things divine and to this, the life of the spirit. So there's two yeah. years, kind of like two years boot camp that's dedicated to that. And then we go on to more of the intellectual side of, of classical humanities, philosophy and theology. Those, um, some of those stages are were done in Rome. So I studied most of my my philosophy and theology was studied in Italian and Rome, which, you know, as a Catholic and just culturally, it's, it's a fantastic experience to be, to have that cultural experience, to learn, learn other languages, learn Spanish and Italian along the way. And, and then, and during that, what we call education or formation process, there's also a few years of hands-on experience. And, and so that's why it ends up being, you know, a good 10 to 12 year process before being what we call ordained a priest. So I received ordination in 2002, and I stayed on working in Rome. A lot of my work was done in the area of formation and education of other people training for ministry, and that brought me to Colombia to be the director of a seminary there, and then to Ireland to be the director of a seminary in our organization there in Ireland and England, and and then to Chile where I worked more with uh, with civilians, with lay people, you know, in relationships, um, personal development, the spiritual journey of mm-hmm. men and women. And, and I accompanied them there. And then I went back to Rome to direct to seminary there. And now during, now that's the external journey. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the whole internal journey of, of a lot of restlessness. The, a lot of restlessness continued after a certain period of time, you know, when I was in ministry and, and a lot of discontent began to surface inside my soul. And I didn't know what it was. Um, and so 
and that's something that that sat that simmered inside of me for a good number of years until I faced it. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and my pride didn't begin to face it until 2015, 2016. It was probably simmering since 2009, um, and which made it difficult sometimes to be in ministry because I felt like I was being farce. I felt like I wasn't, you know, this I'm putting on a show here. This isn't me. At the same time, I did it very honestly, you know, and sincerely. And I think I, I was very effective in ministry. I was. Thankfully, you know, thank God I was able to really support a lot of people. And I think because of my own struggles, I was able to transmit the message in a very um, digestible manner that yeah. people related to it. And, and so that was kind of the silver lining behind my own, my own personal struggles. And so I, and one thing that happened that really was a, it was a shocker moment. It has to do, you know, getting into grief is, um, we're all familiar with the Catholic Church. We're familiar with a lot of priests that have been accused, a lot of priests that did a lot of damage to people through sexual abuse. Or then there's also spiritual and psychological abuse. So there was a moment during a lot of trouble sometimes in the church where an anonymous, where I was accused by an anonymous person for some something that it had really didn't have any body to it. But it was, but again, the church we had to, had to be dealt with, right? Yeah. Um, it wasn't, you know, didn't have a lot of substance, but um, and it wasn't true, and it was fabricated by someone who had, you know, who has a very difficult past, and they were just dealing with their own pain, with the church and with the organization, and and so that I've never been the same since that moment because I lost something there, and. I don't know if it was my identity or it was just my whole vision of life and of my ministry and of my world came crashing down. Yeah. And, and I, and I was very alone. Um, I didn't know what to do with that. Um, I had, there was no support. It's, and when you talk about dark valleys, um, that was really the beginning of, I was already in a bit of a darkness just in my own personal journey of understanding. Mm-hmm where I was going, I was struggling, you know, and we'll talk about sexuality later on. There was, when we're going through pain, we obviously, as human beings, we have a hard time dealing with pain and we look for things to soothe it. And so in one of a natural or an automatic way, that one way that people look to soothe pain is, is sometimes through sexuality. And right, whether it be pornography and things like that, or relationships, right, which obviously don't end up filling the void or soothing the pain. Right. It's just maybe it's who's it for a few seconds. And then for me, then then a whole wave of guilt and shame was like, you know, it just it just was obviously didn't do it. And so I was sort of in that in that downward spiral of trying to deal with my pain in, in unhealthy ways. Other people can turn to any other any other type of substance abuse or or dysfunctional behaviors in dealing with pain. I think when we talk mm-hmm. about grief, we automatically are talking about the human experience of pain as well. Mm-hmm. so but that experience so i was already going through that and then this thing just hit me um man there's no expression to say or what it hit me like it was i was already a little bit down and it really put me out for the count and again like i said i've yeah. never been this before i lost something and i think i i just i lost i suppose i lost hope for a long time around my life and ministry and this project that I was building in my mind about who I was going to be as a minister and, and the good that I was going to do and all of a sudden it just came tumbling so I was never the same and then I never felt like people looked at me or t- treated me the same after that 
even mm -hmm. though it was very it was anonymous and was kept very quiet it's something that i actually probably i haven't really talked about in the public forum um but it's a real experience right yeah and then i got hit something you know down the road i got hit by another similar but not as drastic experience but which again it made me i said i have to face um, the deeper questions here about my life and about if i'm in the right space in the right spot to uh, to live a fulfilling life and to be able to serve and um, you know a lot of this was during those years there was a lot of depression anxiety and confusion internal crisis mm -hmm. and so when we talk about loss i suppose there, there was that experience of this who i envisioned i would be in this sort of career progression that i thought i would have and and i i lost it and then i was left fumbling trying to figure it out and when we talk about the stages of fear uh, of grief you know the, the the famous stages that they talk about whether they're five or seven right there's the all those go through but they're never linear right they just kind of sort mm -hmm. of whirl around they come and so I, and since i was so alone i i didn't I didn't know how to talk about what I was going through and yeah. I, I didn't necessarily trust people or have people around me that I trusted that I could talk to. And in those days, the, the, the church didn't have structures or that would support people that were going through this. So, and just very difficult time. <laughs> very well, difficult. in the area of sexuality too, that's not a topic that people discuss anyways. Right. So to have it, both be grief related in losing your sense of identity, your ideals for the future, your loss of hope, the way you saw the world, like loss of innocence. There's mm -hmm. so much, so much grief that comes from accusations or behaviors, inappropriate actions or behaviors of mm -hmm. others' sexuality or like in your case, accused sexuality. Yes. Accused inappropriate actions. Right. Accusations, but then also knowing in my life that I, there were things, things that I didn't have in line, right? That I was living somewhat of a dysfunctional um, sexuality. And as you know, you know, priests make promises of celibacy. Yeah. Right. And I think when we, if you don't mind, I'll, you know, I want to go on this tangent around just yeah. on sexuality and grief and loss. And because I think there's just a lot there that we could discuss, you know, and sexuality, first and foremost, is, uh, human sexuality is such a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And in the Catholic world, we have this uh, topic that we talk, talk about is theology of the body, really, where the body is an expression of, of the divine. Right? Yeah. And so in the human, the human unity that happens in the sexual embrace and sexual intercourse, it's such a beautiful, it's so, so so beautiful, so deep that a human life can be born from that as a fruit of that relationship. But also, it's so deep that people can get hurt in the deepest of ways. Yeah. And sadly, I just think sometimes when we, when in society, in the mainstream, when we talk about sexuality, it's sometimes taught, it's talked about as, as the fun side, the the, um, something that you could experiment with. Right. And it's sort of it's taught in a very superficial or frivolous way, and which I think is irresponsible because then we see so many people using it in the wrong way and getting hurt, as mm -hmm. we said, in the deepest way possible that causes a huge loss, you know, and, and they use the word, you know, the loss of virginity, whereas, you know, the loss of innocence, whereas when we talk about sexuality and its depth and its beauty, 
the first sexual experience can also be one that is not a loss at all. Rather, it's a huge gain. It's an experience of a blissful embrace of love and union, which is what it is meant to be. Yeah. Right? But but there's the other aspects of, you know, when it is a loss, whereas it happens, you know, the circumstances and way or maybe a sexual experience happens or it's tragic, it's unwanted, it's unexpected, you know, or someone was under the influence of some substance, you know, or there was this malice, right? You know, the whole thing about sexual abuse, that's a huge, and that there's a whole loss of identity. There's a loss of dignity. Mm-hmm. There's this sort of sense of, of dirtiness that yeah. will experience. And, and I've seen that more in, 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 the, in the female experience, right? And then it's so much so that then they can never have a functional sexual life again, unless they really do some deep work of working through the loss and the grief and, and the, the death that they experience in some ways, right? That, and personal work is so important. And we can talk a little bit more also about that, of just the, yeah. how we deal with the, the grief and loss. And, and then in, in the sexual field, there's um, so many women, and this is again something that's not always talked about. A very high percentage of women um, never orgasm, right? Whether it could be because of what they've been through, or whether it is because their partner um, doesn't—they don't have conversations about that, right? Or they don't—they um, don't, yeah, they don't talk about it, or their the partner doesn't really look into that aspect, right? into how to take or the person the woman maybe just doesn't feel safe or doesn't know how to or whatever so there's there's also that loss that a woman can experience that maybe isn't talked about a lot and i would add um just to interject i would add maybe the the woman doesn't know herself well enough because of circumstances training experiences culture like whatever because there's so many factors Perhaps the woman doesn't know herself well enough to be able to communicate that to her mm-hmm. partner, to be able to work together. Right. To be able to talk about As you said, there's, you know, there can be shame around this whole topic. We are, cannot be comfortable talking about it. Um, and so we don't know how, we don't have the words. Right? And so hopefully us talking about it here will give some people permission to be able to, to, um, to talk about it to have the words i'm going to go into parentheses real quick because what i realized in my my ministry i would talk about things and sermons and homilies you know from the pulpit that um sometimes difficult topics that people didn't know and but people i would sense that people felt relieved when i talked about things that everyone sort of like the elephant in the room but yeah things that everyone deals with in their day life but they no one ever talks about it right and and unless at church and so Again, that brought out a lot of just sort of a sense of relief in people. It's like, we can, this, it's okay. And I see a lot of similarities with grief. Like it's that Mm -hmm. elephant in the room. Everybody knows that you're going through it. Everybody knows that it's there. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to talk about it. We want to avoid it at all costs. It's painful. Like it's, it's seen as painful. Though like sex and sexuality, it's such a sacred and beautiful experience. It can be. Yes. At its I think it was, purest form. Right. I think it was designed to be. Mm-hmm. It was designed to be, to be that. Um, but because of the power of sexuality, of sexual drive and us as human beings, and I suppose the curiosity and 
just the way our, our bodies, you know, are made is, and there is the fun side, right? There's the, and I think that's all, designed to be there too. Yeah. In, in some some circles, it's it's taught as you know, sex is for this and for nothing else. But there's also the the fun, and that's part of the couple's relationship. But that's where it can get twisted is when we use that toy or we use it as a toy, not not, but we use it and then we play with it with other people and there's not the proper communication around or proper boundaries, proper respect. It's because it's, it's not a toy. And then, you know, when we go to the world of pornography, that that's in, in today, in today's day and age where it's so available to everyone. Yeah. And that's another topic of just, you know, how it should be regulated, right. And not made probably so available and so easy is that it, it's, it's teaching the wrong message about women. It's teaching the wrong message about sexuality, about sexual intercourse. And, and then, all of a sudden we're, we're up in arms and surprised why <laughs> why there's so much dysfunction and problems around this area I, yeah. we should, with the way things are taught you know with whether it be the music that some of the younger generations listen to whether it be some of the movies or shows that they're exposed to whether it be the pornography that's at their fingertips whether it be the sex education that they have in their schools why are we surprised yeah why but and I don't say that, I, I don't say that in a in a happy way. I say it's it's sad, um, but it shouldn't surprise us. Rather, we should. There's so much that we could do about helping this be better. And I think a parallel is, uh, as I was preparing for our interview, I was seeing a parallel in our relationship with Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. There's so much damage and depletion and trauma to the environment because of our own doing right because of lack or abuse or neglect mm -hmm. and it's a global issue mm -hmm. same with sexuality but it doesn't have to continue this way no. there are things that we can do to change it definitely and that's such i had such an interesting parallel in our relationship with with the earth with mother earth right where yeah where there's this use and abuse right this lack of being not being good stewards mm -hmm. of what's been given to us whether that be with the earth and nature but all, whether that be also with our sexuality to be good stewards of the gift that has been given to us and going back to that that sexuality is such a wonderful gift and it's not superficial it's so much defines who we are we are sexual beings in in our identity and how we are, you know, and with male and female, even though there's a lot of discussion around that nowadays, but I think we, we can agree that at least as, as foundations, yes, that we are sexual and sexualized beings. And that is very much an aspect of who we are. And I um, think it's, it's central to our existence. It's how we got here in the first place mm -hmm. without sexuality, our whole human race would cease to exist. That's right. That's right. That's how we all we all came about through sexual intercourse, right? And we're talking about two realities here that we, none of us can get away with. That we were all born, and we're all going to die. Yeah. And those are sometimes the two topics that are very difficult to talk about, right? Of how we come about into existence through conception, right? and the sacredness and, and the power of that miraculous moment, right? And then. And then the difficult moment of death and loss. And the sacred power of that too, of that moment as well. Definitely. The sacred power of that moment. It, 
and I've seen in dealing, I'm going to go, you tell me when you want to change topics, but <laughs> it's all good. along the lines of death is there's something about death that it, um, it puts everything into perspective. In my dealing with so many people that have died and then, or with the, you know, the surrounding effect or consequence of that with family and friends and death puts every people all of a sudden all other superficial things or conflicts or whatever or priorities everything goes to the wayside in the face of death and in death it does it, it clarifies our priorities mm-hmm. the difficult with us as human beings is is death is it's a mystery we it's not something that we know how to experience because we've never been through it I know we go through little deaths and we'll talk a little bit about that in you know, other expressions of loss. Um, but death is it's sort of, we see it as a wall that, and we don't know what's on the other side. When I would talk about that, I would always talk about it as a door. But it's true that on the other side of that door, we don't know what's there. But depending on where you come from, your, our faith or other aspects can teach us that there's something on the other side. But, but the difficult is that we don't know what it is, and the human beings have difficulty with with, with mystery, right? And with not knowing, and so there's this fear, um, or rejection or denial, right? And so that's why death, some of in some cultures or something, just we don't like to talk about it. Um, but I, like I said, it's it's a sacred, and as you said, it's a sacred, it's a key moment. It's so it constitutes so much part of who we are. And, and so I think talking about it is so important and, and what it does, how it puts everything into perspective right? and it helps us see what our priorities are. If we, you know, if we imagine, you know, that we're on our deathbeds, you know, and how we would like to look at what we're living now or the decisions we're making or whatever we're going through, again, it helps us. It's a helpful exercise, a little bit morbid, but it's a helpful exercise. It helps us put life and our decisions and who we are and into perspective. Absolutely. And I think that's part of the power of death is it can teach us by looking at death in the face and having a a constant reminder that life is fragile, that we all experience death. Mm -hmm. It can allow us to actually live more fully. Right, yes. With more intention. Definitely, I think live with, and then go. If we go back to you know just the the old you know, centuries ago, whether it be in in Asian tradition or whether it be in Eastern European tradition, right where where the monastic life started, or that what they would call the desert fathers, that that was something that they um, always had before them in the way they lived their life. Whether it be whether it be you know hard for us to understand in our culture today, but you know where they would dig their graves right little by little during their their life in the desert because it was just a constant meditation of of the life is passing right mm-hmm. and, or having a you know in some paint old paintings you see a monk who's you know writing and there's a skull next to him and sort of that is just that, that they always had the reality of death present to them right that's not probably not the way we would do it nowadays but but to find ways to think about it my, my it makes me think of my parents that they would as children they would bring us you know to funerals and to wakes and and, and part of it was because they, it was part of the educational experience that we get to, that we are able to touch death. And my mother, you'd have to know my mother, she's a, she's a topic for another podcast, but 
you know, even when visiting wakes with the open coffin, she would want us to touch the dead body, right? Again, a lot of people now they would they would not agree with that or you know and do that, but that was just again along the point of what we're saying of making death a reality. And she tried to teach that to us from a very young age, right? And going to the cemetery. And so some cultures highlight this a, a bit more. It depends cultural the way they look at death. I'm in Mexico City right now, right? And the day of the dead is coming up, and it's uh-huh. and where death is is you know it's it's seen as a transition, as a transformation, and not as just an ending. Right. And that's why, you know, they bring food to the, to the graves, to the dead. So it's, it's, it's culture has a lot to do with how we view death. Yeah. Um, but as the human experience, it's, yes, yeah, it's difficult, but it's so, such a sacred and, and such a sacred and key moment of our human experience that it's so important to be able to talk about. And then we have, if you don't mind, I'll go on just, you know, we talked about the big death, which is our human death, right? The end of our human life. Yeah. Um, and then we have little deaths. I was um, actually going to bring that into your life, uh, your ministry. I mean, your training into, mm-hmm. into the priesthood. That was a death of the natural man, of the, of you as Matthew, of, like including your sexuality mm-hmm. and all of like you left behind the world, you were dying to the world so that you could enter into the priesthood. Yes. And that's, you know, and there's, there's biblical expressions that talk about that or death to self and then life in Christ. But yes, the, the human is that in any decision we make, there's a death to something we have to, we're saying no to something mm-hmm. through a door where we are closing other doors. And that's also hard for us as human beings. We're like, oh, we want to be able to have everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and going into vocation and into, into ministry, into the priesthood, which is a very unique style of ministry. Yes, it has a lot of, there is a death, right? And going back again, you know, when the Marines, you know, when you go to boot camp, it's the death to civilian, you're bringing life to the Marine, right? Mm-hmm. And going to seminary is it's death to, yeah, it's death to Matthew and and giving life to what we would call the new man in Christ. Yeah. Now I would have you know things to say about whether what's healthy and what's maybe unhealthy about that, and, and how it how it there's a, there could be a much healthier way to go about that because we don't want we want certain aspects of Matthew to die, but we don't want everything to die. And sometimes it was in centuries of training. Sometimes it was portrayed and maybe in the in an incorrect way, in an unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. where people ended up losing um, their identity. And so this brings me then, to, you know, in 2017, I took a sabbatical year. And part of it, I call it, is my journey of coming home to myself, of rediscovering who, you know, they used to call me Fat Matt, who Fat Matt is, you know, and I went and lived with my dad. I just did the normal things that a normal person does, you know, without the collar, without ministry, without titles. I, I need to get away from that. I need to... I need to go back. You know, it's a journey home to myself. Yeah. Right. To find myself why I felt I had been lost along the way. All with good intentions. And again, there wasn't anyone, not that anyone was trying to make me lose myself, but that was just the what happened with the process. And, and then yes, through celibacy, you you say no to certain things. I wouldn't say it's a death to sexuality, but it's a different living type of living of sexuality, which definitely is death to certain aspects of certain physical sexual expressions 
of yeah. sexuality. Um, yes, but so there is, there are, there are all these deaths, right? And we, do, we would take vows of poverty, justice, and obedience, right? Which is sort of like the death to self, the death to my free will, the death to possessions, to having things, right? And the death to the human sexual expression. Yeah. Um, so yes, <laughs> I hadn't really always looked at that from that perspective, but now that we're talking about it, it's, it's, it is, it's a fascinating topic to look at it through this lens. So how did you deal with the grief of all these deaths? I don't think I dealt with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair answer. <laughs> I don't, it was, um, well, things are, are spiritualized. They're sort of, they're, they're wrapped in, in the, in beauty, right? This is a, this is a holy thing to do. This is a sacred thing to do. This is a heroic thing to do. Uh-huh. And, and as a child, I think we were taught to be heroes, you know, to do the heroic thing, to do the sacrificial thing, because that was that was the holiest and the best thing to do. Yeah. Right. And um. And so it was wrapped in, in that, and so I I didn't see it as um as dying. Rather, I was choosing, I was choosing, you know, as the gospel's phrase says, I was choosing the better part. I was choosing something higher. Right. Um, but I think if it's not dealt with in a healthy way, right, that I wasn't recognizing all these other things. You know, I was young. I just didn't pay attention to it. But it, if you, if we don't do, deal with things in a healthy way, it comes back to bite us in a, or to hit us, or it sends a very expensive bill, right? Whatever expression you want to use. Um, yes. I suppose that's that was that that was my experience. So talk about your journey home, like coming home to yourself. To my yeah, my journey. Let me backtrack for a second. When pain, it's usually it's pain, right? Or loss or crisis. In other words, something around the, the, in, that, in that realm that can drive us home to ourselves or can drive us totally away from ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. it's how and, and, and for me, yes, it was pain made me, you know, and there's a, other interviews where I like to talk about befriending pain. Because we have a, a hate-love relationship with pain, right? We we epitomize it, we glorify it in some ways, right? And just through the human experience, we, you know, climbing a mountain, you know, there's this a sense of achievement when we go through when, finishing a career, graduation, and finishing boot camp, go, whatever. We reach these pinnacle moments, and it was painful and hard to get there. But there's this the, the adrenaline and the, and the joy of that moment, but. The other, on the other hand, we have this hate relationship with pain, where we, um, where we try to shove it into a closet. We don't like to deal with it, and and so I think going this journey of going coming home to myself was befriending and facing my pain, and so that led me to inpatient care. I was four months in a clinical treatment center to deal with it because I was I was carrying around this huge, a lot of baggage of mental and emotional on you know on wellness or mm -hmm. just illness whatever we want to call it you know and then the, the the this difficulty with pornography right the, you know the mystic the, the dysfunctional expressions of how would you know and then depression and anxiety i was carrying around all the stuff that i need to deal with in, in a professional and also in a safe environment yeah. where i could deal with myself where i didn't feel like i was being pressured into making decisions or in or over spiritualizing my problems or that i had to step back into ministry it was um, again, very challenging. I, it was a great moment in life, but it was definitely also challenging to face that. Um, 
And then, so it was four months, and then I then I went to live at home, right, and live with family. And sort of coming home, I had been away from family for so many years. I had missed so many great events, so I was able just to be back home and with family. And and there was positive and negatives to that. And but it was just coming home to myself and trying to rediscover. And so I continued my therapeutic journey through that. I did my coaching training during that period of life. I didn't know where it would end up. It was it might lead me back into ministry, which eventually it did. And that's when I did my service in the, with the United States Navy as a chaplain, um, or it would lead me out of ministry. And I was wherever it's going to lead me wherever I am meant to be. I will find my answers along the way. So I kind of took it like that, took it in stride. Um, but I needed, it was what was very important, I suppose, a lesson in those years is learning to allow people into my life. Um, people that cared and people that I could trust and to allow them into those sacred spaces and, you know, and allow them to walk with me. And that was a great lesson. And, and then, yes, and there's so many lessons about just dealing with our humanity in, in, a, in a healthy way and in a beautiful way. So that was sort of in, in summarized terms, that was my journey home and, and then led me back again, as I said, stepping back into ministry for a few years to just clarify where, where I was meant to be. And there's a whole nother chapter that we can talk about just ministry in the military with the Marines and sailors and how meaningful it was. But what I have to highlight is everything that I've been through while um, at this stage of my life, when I stepped back into ministry, I was much more reconciled with everything. I was like, I no longer, I no longer hated myself because there were many years where I hated myself. I hated my life. I hated who I was. I, I wanted to die yeah. right? because everything had lost meaning. And all those things I had been through, I was able to then use them as, as instruments and tools and experiences to minister much better. And, and I think that it helped me to be very effective in my ministry with the Marines and sailors and to understand and to really to know, even learn more about how to walk with people in their pain, right? And with their little deaths that, that, that we talk about, whether it be the loss of hope, whether it be the loss of meaning, and whether it be when I feel like I'm at a dead end in my life and a romantic relation fall, relationship falls apart. Right. These are all the little moments of, of other losses that we don't always know how to deal with, right? The loss of a job, an event that changes my career progression, right? I, whether in any career, right? I was headed towards this and then all of a sudden something happens or whatever. I do something or I make a mistake or whatever. And all of a sudden my career is no longer what I planned it out to be um, and loss of identity. And this was big in me because my identity was no longer Matthew Brackett. It was the priest and, and right. a member of the religious order. And, and that was my, and I, because of my insecurity, I latched onto those identities. And so even just my decision to leave ministry was so hard because it was letting go of, it was also death to certain aspects of my life. It was a death to, to identity, it was death to status, it was a death to how people saw me. It was a death to some relationships, people that the relationships changed after that. Um, mm -hmm. No longer it's the loss of opportunities to be able to help people right the loss of a whole platform to be able to enter into people's lives in, in into those sacred spaces and, and make a difference and that was very hard it's, just, it's still something that i i don't want to say i struggle with it but it's still a reality 
because right now I'm finishing a master's, so I'm more in just a more in professional preparation mode. I'm not making a big impact in people's lives, and, and so that's hard. Yeah. Just that. So that's I went on a tangent just about the loss of identity, and you know, divorce is a whole nother loss. So you know, everyone gets married to be with their partner forever, and then all of a sudden things begin to happen, and so coming to terms with that identity and and with that loss, and being cut out from someone's life. And losing the, the loss of trust in a person or in an organization um, is another type of, you know, is another small death, which can be very hard for us. And our vision of our own life, our expectations, where our goals that we had just fall apart. Um, or when we lose our health, mm-hmm. we're diagnosed with some condition and yeah. the loss of sight, hearing, the loss of a limb. And that's why, you know, and I think when we see people who, who are, and it's happened on a lot of occasions. You see someone who's lost a limb, but they're just so happy with their life. And again, that speaks so much to me. You know, this person has dealt with their grief, with their loss in such a wholesome way, and they're able to, and and they're able to live life to the full with that physical limitation that they've been given. I was like, I, I am. It's it's inspirational because I want to be able to do that. I haven't lost any limbs, or my health is good, but there's other aspects I've lost. And sometimes, you know, I'm just, I'm mourning my losses and I'm licking my wounds and I'm feeling sorry for myself. And, and it's just going through that journey of reconciling, integrating the losses, integrating all the deaths into my life. And, and like we're in one of those steps of grief is really of acceptance and not a passive acceptance. I really had to go through the journey of active acceptance of embracing and embracing this new me and, and embracing my past right and, and embracing mm-hmm. all the losses and embracing a new identity and embracing all the, the things that i've left behind and, and to, to be able to do that and i see this as a gift that i i have no merit of it's not no really not a lot of merit of my own but it's a gift i received of of not having of not harboring negativity now it took me a while to get there but yeah. where I've been able to let go of negativity and I've been able to let go of regrets and remorse and I've been able to let go of, of rancors, you know, of this of resentment. That's the word I'm looking for, resentments towards institutions, towards people, towards whatever it is. So I am very fortunate in that regard. But again, that's, it's years, it's years. It takes, it's, it's a process and it's a journey. It definitely and, is. And I would just encourage people to, to, to walk the path because it's that's how we get places and and the path can be it's painful but it can be it can lead to to discovering whole new areas of 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 the forest right that you mm-hmm. never knew right you yeah. to discover a sunset that you never knew was there right because you were able to continue walking the journey and to discover the beauties of life that awaited you often our deepest pain leads to our greatest growth, our greatest vistas, our most beautiful perspectives on life. Definitely. That's a, and that's, that's, I would like to propose, you know, that, that our losses that, or our wounds, right, that they are, that they become places of transformation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's but not always. Not always, no. Um, it takes, like you were saying, it takes work. It takes intention. It takes active mm-hmm. attention. It takes 
resilience. It takes character. It takes strength. It takes resources. It does. And everyone has is on different levels, right? And so it's Absolutely. everyone has to do it, has to do it their their own way and find the way to make it work. In the end, we all we all fumble our way through these processes, trying to do our best. But it is the loss, whether it be whether it be death or other little deaths that we're talking about, it leaves a hole in our life. It leaves an empty space, and, and we're like, what do we do with this? Mm -hmm. right? Because it's it's a constant reminder, oftentimes of hurt. Right? It has a name on it, or it has a date on it. Right, and it's and it's important to to name it and to honor it, whatever it is, and and that it becomes, or if we call it a wound, right? A wound will heal as long as if we do the right things to allow it to heal or to help it to heal, yeah. and but it will leave a scar. Absolutely, right? and, and the scar can remind us of of um of the hurt. But it can also, it hopefully, we get to the point where it can remind us also of transformation, right? And it can remind us of, of a lot of different things. But my in invitation, I suppose, is, is that it, we go on that journey and that it becomes a place of encounter. Mm -hmm. You know, that hole or that wound becomes a place of encounter with yourself and with the divine and with your purpose and meaning. But very easy for me to say and i don't by saying it i don't want to sound offensive to people right who are going through this because it's very easy for me to say but it's so 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 challenging to do right and there's a lot of tears that we have to go through right and tears i are the language of the soul mm -hmm. right you know, in jesus in the, in the gospel says blessed are those who mourn they will find comfort and the, but the comfort's not there not right there at your fingertips it's going through the process of being able to mourn, right? Being able to, you know, tears, they cleanse our eyes so that we can see better. Yeah. And, but they're hard, right? And there's a poem that I wrote for Marines. And it's called The Tear of a Marine, actually. And there's one line of that that says, um, a tear is a language so refined that words cannot make up their mind. The body and the soul desire to express and struggling words only say less. But the timid tear says it all as from your eye does fall. You know, and I've been able to sit with people in, in that sacred space and, and watch the tears. Yeah. And there was no need for words. The tears said everything about what they were going through. Right, and that I just had to be present. And there's other moments in my life where I was the one shedding tears. Mm -hmm. I remember in some in a group therapy once where I forget what this is a question that someone asked me where I, I think it was something about that I you never they affirmed for you know and during all this you never really felt understood, right? And it just I burst into tears. I suppose because I just at that moment I suppose I felt understood that someone had kind of put their finger on on something that was very sensitive and, and meaningful to me yeah. and actually not too long ago i was i broke into tears at, at night just in bed because you know this journey this transition i'm going through it's challenging right? establishing myself professionally it's a very lonely journey and like i said it's you know i made a choice to be on my own now i'm on my own right <laughs> and sort of coming to terms with that and a lot of people step away you know, and so it's, it can be lonely and, and I was, you know, and I just had to let the tears go and the tears, it's again, it's a language of the soul. 
that mm -hmm. we have difficulty with as human beings because it can be uncomfortable. But it is also so meaningful. So meaningful because it, like your, your poem said, it expresses everything that our words can't. Mm -hmm. Not only of the pain and the grief, also of the joy and the gratitude. Yes, the tears are expressed on all ends of the spectrum. You know, and I going back to the point that you were making is about the, our difficulty with pain and with suffering and sitting in those moments, right? And, you know, you said at some point we don't know what to do with that. People don't. We don't. We're not always trained. It's not our common experience, right? And I saw this a lot. You know, just because of my experience in ministry, it was my daily bread. I was used to being with people in their highest moments and in their lowest moments. I was used to visiting people in the hospital and learning to practice empathy and sympathy and 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 just to be with them and care. And and I was used to being with people when they lost a loved one, right? I've, I remember, you know, being in a hospital. And then um, a girl that had fallen, a little girl that had fallen off a horse, her, uh, really her head was swelling. And I got to the hospital before the parents did, you know, and yeah. I had to be there to receive the parents, you know, and when they're met with this tragedy of what their daughter's been through and not knowing what, how it's going to end up. So it, they're not, they're not comfortable, you know, they're not moments that anyone really wants to be there, but that, I was privileged to be in those sacred spaces and be in those moments. So, so you become used to it. And so like in the military, you know, whenever everyone was going through tragic moments and it was the chaplain who was, we were invited to step in and because other people, they did their best, but they just, you don't know what to say. You don't know how to behave. You don't know. It, it becomes very awkward moments, right? Yeah. I suppose part of what we're talking about is helping people to um to become a little bit more natural with the realities of our sexuality with the realities of loss and that it's part of our it's an integral part of our human experience and there's mm -hmm. such and there's a there's so much sacredness and, and beauty to it and are having the ability to to sit with people in those moments and again you don't need to say a lot it's just being there mm -hmm. right and and in my moments of loss, when people would show interest, you know, and I had some people that would just be with me. And, and that speaks much more than a million words. And it, and it etches a, something sacred in my memory and, and just with that relationship with that person that they knew how to be there with me and for me, mm -hmm. even though they didn't know what to do, but they were just there and they cared. Yeah. that's actually how I got started in the grief field mm. I have never experienced the death of a close loved one so I don't have the personal experience of what that would be like but there was a woman in our school community whose husband died suddenly mm. and I volunteered to take a meal over and I sat with her in her trauma in her tears in her grief in her confusion, in her, oh my gosh, my world just got shattered into a zillion pieces. What do I do? Mm. Not only did that have a big impact on her, it had a big impact on me. 
because for me, it was such a gift to be trusted with her vulnerability, with her tears, with the most tender and core parts of her life. Mm. And it taught me that, it helped me realize that, like you, I have a gift for this. I have a gift for sitting with people in some of their most difficult times. Mm. And, and it's interesting. Yeah. And then that's led you to to what you do now. It's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, I'm working on memoir of my life. And so as part of that, I just did a timeline of major experiences in my life. Hmm. And I thought that I had um, started training in the end of life and grief space right after that event. It actually turns out that it was a year later. Right after that event, I was doing training on finding my own self. Specifically, learning about my own sexuality. Mm -hmm. And I'm, it's, it's interesting that as part of my sexual exploration, it was discovering who I am in my sexuality, who I am in my identity, who I am in my gifts, my ability to sit with people who are grieving. And then I was able to go into professional education or professional training, learning more about grief mm -hmm. and end of life. Right. Well, so it started well for you with the journey sort of home to yourself. Absolutely. Right? And of discovery. Yeah. And around, you know, you mentioned sexuality. And again, around those topics that, the two topics that we have, as humans, we have a hard time talking about. Right, around grief and loss and, and sexuality. What a beautiful journey. And then you're bringing that to other people. And so we thank you for that, Jenny. Thank you. And thank you for letting me be here. Absolutely. It's been such a rich conversation. And we didn't even cover half of the things that I had planned on. And that's perfect. Because that's that's how life flows. <laughs> that's right. It, it, it rarely does it go as planned. Rarely can we control it. And that that's part of the beauty of it. It is, right? Finding our ways to the answers, walking our way to the end. And maybe we'll have to have another episode. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. So that's a perfect end note to end on of like the organic flow and letting life flow as it does. So I'd like to circle back to where we started with your perspective of the sacredness and the beauty of the human sexuality and also uh, the parallel of that to the sacredness and the beauty of our Mother Earth. So going forward and, and of grief as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, all three of those those topics. What can we do so that going forward so that we can clean up our views of sexuality, of grief, of these two 
two topics that are so, so important that are core to our experience as mm -hmm. a human, as a being, as I believe as a spiritual being that continues, has existed before birth and continues after death. Mm -hmm. What can we do to better educate, incorporate, lean into these two topics of sexuality and grief? Thank you, Jenny. That is, that's a very challenging question. <laughs> as we were talking about, we were given these gifts and and sometimes they're not always seen as gifts, right? And they're as sacred gifts, whether the sexual experience right? and that we are sexual beings and sexual intercourse, which is a huge gift, which then brings another gift, which can be the human life, a baby, right? Yeah. So the gifts and then, and then the gift of pain, which we have a hard time with as human beings. And the challenge is, is, is discovering the gift inside the pain. And as you, you know, we want to deny it, we want to reject it. So it's, I think just, first of all, talking about it is one thing. And then and being able to, to have people that to walk alongside with and to, I would really want to encourage people to, to see all, all these things have the darker side, right? That, you know, the sexual experience negatively used has a very dark side to it, right? The um, pain negatively handled, it has a very dark it leads has a very dark side to it mm -hmm. the, discovering the bright and the gift in all of this again easy for me to say not easy to do but that there's no other people know there's 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 many of us that are willing to walk with you in that journey um the very fearful journey yeah. of dealing with this right? and and then going back to the earth is also you know creation in the earth is is a gift that, that we've been given and we are stewards of all these gifts. And how do we use our stewardship? How do we manage these gifts? And, and there's an accountability piece, right? Whether it be, whether we believe in the divine or the eternal or not, but there's an accountability piece for our neighbor. And in our use of sexuality and our how we deal with pain, because it, it ends up affecting the community in some way or another when it's not dealt with in a healthy way. Yeah. But in also the way we deal with the earth, it affects our neighbor. It affects tomorrow's generation. Right? And so to be able to be stewards and to serve the gifts and so that they continue to be gifts for those around us and for, for tomorrow. Beautiful. So beautifully stated. There are gifts all around us. There's also pain all around us. Um, I love the concept of the yin and the yang. Mm -hmm. They're, they coexist. Right. And we can ease the pain of and suffering of ourselves, of others, by using our gifts, by leaning into the pain, actually. Mm -hmm. By being good stewards. And holding balance with the darkness, the light, and walking each other on our journey home. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy, busy schedule 
to share your perspective and experiences with us on these very essential and human and beautiful concepts. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for giving me a, a small voice in this world. It's a big voice. Thank you. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Nothing else. It is thank you for letting me share with you and speak to them, speak to your listeners, and always count on me to be a support for your work and for anybody else. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. So if they want to reach out to you, where, tell us again where they can find you. And LinkedIn is easy, Matthew Brackett on LinkedIn and Facebook, also Matthew Brackett and, and Brackett Alliance on Instagram. Those are the ways right now. And, and all of BracketAlliance.com will be coming out shortly. So those are the different ways. Feel free to message me and I will, I will be there for you. You could also email mjb at BracketAlliance.com. So those are some Awesome, awesome. And a big thank you to our listeners for tuning in and receiving these stories. If you appreciated this episode, remember to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on special subscription-only content. And I think that's all for today. Until next time, remember that all of our experiences make us who we are and that we can turn our grief, our pain, our darkness into growth, into gifts, into sacred beauty. You are known and loved in more ways than you could ever imagine. Your voice matters, so share your story. It's been another amazing conversation here on Share Your Story, exploring humanity one heart at a time. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in and receiving these stories. If you appreciated this episode, remember to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on special subscription-only content. If you are struggling with grief and would like to make it more manageable, schedule a call through my website, grievingcoach.com, and I will give you one tool that you can implement today. Until next time, remember that all of our experiences make us who we are and that we can turn grief into growth. You are known and loved in more ways than you could ever imagine. Your voice matters. So share your story. <laughs>